Okay, everybody, welcome to the Finger Post podcast. This is a special edition of the Finger Post podcast um, with the participants in Hollywell Trust's own Future Leaders program. And we're delighted to be joined by some of our participants today. So, this episode, or sorry, this issue of the Finger Post uh, magazine or website has a whole load of articles on it, a lot, all looking at uh, the impact of COVID on people within our community. And this idea came together through a collective uh, number of people who are involved in our Future Leaders Programme, as I've mentioned. So some of the articles that feature in this issue are, we've got Janice Montgomery, who talks about homeschooling. Emma Doherty talks about disability supports. There's artwork from Sophie Neely. Our, our regular contributor, George O'Kane, talks about the impact of COVID in a personal context. And then Seamus Crossan talks about Star Roman, Running Club as well. But first up, we have one of the people behind the scenes on this. Uh, we have Michael. Michael, how's the form? You're Not being... too bad, Jared. Not too bad, thanks. Good stuff. So, Michael Collins, you've been part of the Future Leaders Programme since the inception of it last uh, September time, up September, October time. Um, and you have decided, it's like what we wanted you to do was to apply the learning from the programme and a community project. And we broke these up into small groups in your group chose to do a finger post takeover issue looking at the impact of COVID. So mm-hmm. how do you find the process? Um, I think the process was, it was good. There was lots of ideas. Um, a lot of us as a group, I suppose, as we get that with any group, came with their own ideas and their own versions of what that would look like. But, I mean, eventually once the, t- the, the, the team, if you like, sat down and put that all together and sort of, narrowed it down to how it could look and, and on the article form it, 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 the process was fairly easy um, I think Jared from the support that we've received from Hollywell because essentially this is a Hollywell publication mm. um, you know that I mean the, the willingness of Hollywell to support that as well um, was really was really good um, and encouraging um, so um, I think overall it, it was an easy process. Um, I suppose there was obstacles faced by um, us as a team in terms of personal commitments and um, I suppose uh, gathering articles and maybe deciding who was the best uh, people to gather articles from. But I mean, I suppose be creating that sort of supportive environment as well and the thrashing out of ideas made that that wee bit easier also. And you did look at loads of different stuffs, and I, I, and I know that you've had a conversation about other issues that didn't even make it into the, the, the issue. But yeah. you engaged with people from all different sections of the community to create this issue. Anything mm. stand out for you? Any particular issues that will need to be addressed, even beyond COVID, by the community and voluntary sector going forward? I, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're now, I suppose, we're, we're now going back to sort of stabilising as a society. Um, our, our health service is resuming to maybe the, what, we, what, what you could consider as normal levels, but pre-pandemic, our waiting lists here in, in, in the, you know, our, our own trust area were mm. pretty bad. And, and it's going to be going back to doing that. Um, they get those back under control. So I think the community and voluntary sector are going to have a major play, uh, part to play in the legacy of what is going to be the pandemic. Um, and in that, but by that I mean that the whole piece around mental health um, and well-being, um, the the I suppose looking at uh, loneliness and isolation in the community. Um, I think that 
the pandemic high highlighted that, I guess, about those who are particularly vulnerable in the community. And I think that the community and voluntary sector um, would be absolutely best placed to, um, to, to have a, a major role in, in combating those as well, I think. I think if, if, if we all reflect back on, on the last sort of 12 to, to 13 months, we could look at, you know, the, the, the resumption, I guess, of that community spirit. Um, and that needs, that needs to be taken from, led from the front. And I, and I think um, whilst the statutory sector will have its part to play in resuming all the, the statutory pieces, I think that the, the community and voluntary sector will, should be and will be at the forefront of um, leading that um, as well, and maybe taking a new approach to community um, in terms of combat models, I see that I've just mentioned. Yeah, Michael, thanks very much. And hopefully you'll be directly involved in it yourself as a, a future leader now that the course is over. Well, here's hoping, Jared. Good man, thanks. good man. Thanks thanks for coming along today. I really appreciate it. So next up, we have Emma Doherty. How are you? Good, thank you. Happy days. So Emma, you've written an article uh, looking into the way that uh, community organisations adapted to support the needs of people with disabilities during the pandemic. What what do you think is the biggest challenge for people with disabilities right now? And what are the supports that are available? Um, well, right now, I think um, now that we're coming out of the restrictions and we're sort of getting a wee more freedom, um, I think what has happened is... Um, there's a lot of anxiety around people with disabilities about the world coming back and about things opening up again. I think we've kind of got into a routine in the last like over a year of staying at home and not meeting people. And you know, that's been a comfort to some people after a while because you would you would get used to it. So I think now when things are opening up, um, people are a bit worried. They're a bit worried about because things will come back, but they'll not come back exactly as they were. So there's new rules to try and remember. And um it is just going to be difficult for people coming back. And it's exciting that things are opening up again. People are looking forward to being able to take part in activities and meet people again. But there is that worry about, you know, the right way to do it and things like that. So I was speaking to someone from the Cedar Foundation this week, and they've uh, produced a document and sent it out to their service users. And it explains really, um, really what way the new way of working will be when the offices are open and they can go in and visit, you know, face to face. Um, and it highlights then exactly what's expected of the service user when they're coming in, um, what face coverings they have to wear and the social distancing and everything. And I think it'll help It'll help people feel a bit less nervous about meeting face-to-face -face again. I think it'll work out well. Um, another thing that I've noticed quite a few people have said to me um, was that people with disabilities and their families and their carers have worked really hard to protect themselves in the pandemic. Um, but when they... You know, when they're out and about and they're following the rules and everything, they do see quite a lot of people who don't follow the rules. And I have a friend who has a disability and she just had to make the choice last year to stop using public transport because she'd used it once when you were supposed to wear a mask and she had her mask and everything. And she noticed that many people that weren't and it just made her feel really anxious. So then since then, she's just um, taken to um, using private taxis and taking you know, bigger expense than she normally would have but just really to protect yourself. I, I can understand that. I think it's how we all treat each other and it's that sense of community and generosity we all need to share so that we can all come out of this together. I think, Emma, that's that's the way forward here. I think you... people are, um, people seem to be a bit more caring towards people and I hope that that keeps going. 
after the pandemic and people forget quickly about other people and about looking out for other people. Yep, and speaking of a strong sense of community, one of the other articles that you organised for the issue was the contribution from Seamus Crossan at Star Running Club. And it talks about that strong sense of community within the club and how much of a positive difference it made to the, the lives of people in the wider community. So how did, tell us, it's in the article, but how did they manage to keep the momentum and community ethos of the club going during lockdown at a time when people couldn't come together? Yeah, because it was it was one thing about the lockdown is you always could run, but at the start, um, you really just could run on your on your own. You, you couldn't run as a club or even as a, a group of people. You, you weren't allowed to. Um, so the the club kind of felt like they couldn't. Um, they needed to find a way to motivate people to keep people, you know, to keep people enjoying running. And um, we're quite a varied club where there'd be some ones that would be quite, you know, very high level and they would be really into their feeling and all. And then there's ones like me who just like a bit of carry on and going for a run. So, but they needed a way to keep all those things going, even though we couldn't run together. Um, so they came up with a couple of ideas. Um, the biggest one, the most popular one was the Star Bingo, which was like a list of challenges that we had to complete. And um, it was a competition about who would complete the bingo card first. So there was things like, running in fancy dress or running at 6am or um, they would run around the town and try and find the word star spelled out in um, in signposts and stuff like that and it was great and it kept everyone going and we have a quite an active um, like group on Facebook too where people would log their runs and people continue to do that and then you would get encouragement from other runners so it was really good and um, community spirits really you know the hardest star really so as well and they organised donations to a number of the care homes in the local area and delivered them around and stuff like that. So it was really good. Brilliant. That sounds like a, a lot of effort and time went on it over, over lockdown. And, and yeah, you enjoyed it? Oh, I loved it. It was great. It was great fun. And now we're back to like club runs and hopefully the races will be back. So great. That's brilliant. Brilliant, Emma. Well done. Look, Emma, thank you for coming along and enjoy the running. Are you heading out tonight? Not tonight, no. Right tomorrow. Good on you. Well, enjoy that. Enjoy that. Thanks so much, Emma. Okay. Okay. So next up, we have Janice Montgomery. Hello, Janice. How are you? Hi, dear. How are you? Hi, dead on. Hi, dead on. So you've written an article for the issue um, on the the personal impact of homeschooling while working as a full time childminder during the lockdown. So what impact did it have on you? personally i can only imagine it from my own point of view because I, I wasn't doing everything but I, I know what the crack was in our kitchen when the homeschooling was happening well it impacted me really badly i have to say first of all not only the child might know parks were closed all mother and toddler groups were closed everything was closed for them so they were hand under the under the house all day long and then homeschooling life three gears at the primary school so they were all different stages homeschooling them three uh, was a nightmare um, the school was good enough. They sent out their packs every week without fail. Um, but I was just trying to log on to their internet to get on, to get their packs, everything else, and having enough time to spend them each day of what they should be doing and what, no, and trying to catch up on things. And some days you were doing great, some days you weren't doing so great. Aye, aye, but that was okay. I think it, so long as you were trying, that was half the battle. Oh, big time, big time. And were you providing a child maintenance service at the same time as homeschooling? Yes, I was, yes. I never closed. Some people right. closed. Um, it was just due to your own circumstances. I didn't, and I didn't need to close, but I just kept open. I kept Good open. on you. 
Fair play. So many, many children involved at any one time then. I had sex all day. Fair play. Good on you. So, but they're away back to school now. They're way back um, to school, and I have to say, there's been more, not, not as many sleepless nights, um, uh, and mentally and physically. I have to say, I was absolutely drained. There yeah. was nights that was I could have been crying because I just thought I haven't done enough for them. Or if you weren't giving all your attention to the child mating ones, you were missing out on your own. And if you were giving all your attention to your own, you were missing out on the child mating ones. You were just trying to make a balance, and it was hard going. Yeah, that's tough. I right. but as I say. If you were doing anything, I think you were doing well, and 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 that's the the reality of it. So now that they have gone back to school, what do you think the 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 biggest challenge is in returning to education for the, the children and yourselves? And what support do you think should be in place going forward to combat those adverse effects if there are any? Uh, well, the biggest challenge I feel is more to do with their mental health. A lot of people are on it, but oh, they've missed out and they're going to not catch up and they're this, that and the other. But um, I've been talking to a few teachers and they have reassured me. They deal with this on a daily basis as and people falling back and are able to catch them up. They feel that they, sh- they will be able to um, catch them up. Mm. It may take a few months, but they will be able to catch them up where they should be. I mean, I have one transfer now in the secondary school and her principal has assured us all that they will not fall far behind where they should be. Um, as for that first of there has been majorly and what should be put in place well the younger ones I feel they will be able to catch up and there shouldn't be majorly apart from their mental health but um, like I say we'll get that dealt with through the schools and stuff like that it's more the older ones I feel sorry for that's down the GCSEs A-levels university it's all moving on I mean they have missed out majorly and I just hope that the schools can provide extra support for them yeah on and a final week question Janice did you enjoy the future leaders program I did enjoy it. I definitely did enjoy it. Um, it really took me out of my comfort zone, I have to say, but I really enjoyed it. Must me Monday nights. Definitely would recommend it to anybody. Ronnie, brilliant. Janice, thanks for that. That was that was really interesting. And thanks for doing the article as well. Well, thanks very much. Ronnie. Okay, so coming up next, uh, we're going to have a quick chat with Cathy Malcolm. Cathy, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Jared? Ah, dead on. Dead on. So, uh, you're one of the other participants in the Future Leaders Programme. I, mm-hmm. I was just asking Janice if she enjoyed it there. What do you think yourself? Um, how do you find the experience of taking part in the programme, which was entirely online during the COVID breakdown or uh, lockdown as well, we must reinforce? Um, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I was involved in last year's Future Leaders Programme, but just wasn't in a position to give the time commitment last year. So I really wanted to make a, a real effort this time around. And it, it suited me better um, to, be able to be able to participate this year. Um, and it probably fitted well for me, just with obviously having recently started up a new business. So I got loads out of it um, in terms of obviously, you know, the guest speakers that would have come along every week. Um, were really informative, lots of knowledge around different things from mental health to community development development um you know even media how, how, they, how they sort of work with with the media and, and for example do a press release um so some really really useful informative sessions um and i think for, and also i think the, the sort of the networking aspect of it um like we had a group of probably on average about 20 people every week for the best part of what what eight or nine months which is is, is, is quite a, an achievement and a commitment in itself 
Um, you know, and it, it stayed a fairly solid group. Um, it's like any community project, you get a few, you, you always get dropouts along the way, but you know, like the, the same the same ones are turning up every week. And I think there was a real, a real, you know, foundation developed and a really, really good group. And I met some amazing people, some of which some of which I, I've I've kept in touch with and going to continue to keep in touch with and have become friends. And obviously, you know, hopefully we will get the, you know, do you know maybe different things, you know, beyond future leaders. But also as well getting the opportunity to stay involved with Hollywell. Um, you know, um, we sort of we were able to get the opportunity to, to, to fit into the strategic plan there recently, and any other projects that are going to come up, you know, in the future. You know, hopefully now you know our, our names are down there and they're mailing us, so we can avail of you know whatever's whatever's coming up. So so you're you're going to be tortured now, Jared. That's that. That's right. I am tortured most days anyway. Don't worry about it. Um, so Kelly, what? impact uh that COVID hadn't taken part in the program it's like i mentioned it was fully online but did it impact in any other way um i think as you said it was online so obviously the biggest drawback to that was we couldn't meet face to face um so it was very difficult supposed to get to know people you know from behind the screen you know so you were you know we were sort of trying to get to know as best you can people's personalities and and it's, you know, so that was a challenge, you know. But I think, you know, um, your your yourself and, and and Fiona made it really innovative, and you know, and, and obviously, you know, we tried to work with that as best we could. Um, sometimes I suppose then when it couldn't be planning the sessions, sometimes doing it virtual, sometimes could restrict what you wanted to do. Um, but again, you know, it was one of those challenges. I suppose it was overcome. Um, I suppose the nice thing about you know. Um, the nice thing about it being on Zoom was, you know, obviously we had um, people in the group here coming from Belfast and from Anna, you know, and obviously if it hadn't been for Zoom, you know, that you know the, the commitment for them to come down to the area every week, maybe you know, it, it, you know, that might have been tough going for them. So it was nice that you know you you were able to bring you had that regional kind of geographical representation, and you were able to do that through Zoom. Um, so that was uh, which was good. Um, but I, I think you know that say it was just that it was missing out in that face to face, and probably the thing probably I think that was mentioned at the very very start that, that we I think maybe well I can like I think we were all looking forward to was obviously the residential, you know where we were with the chance to get two nights away. Everybody's going to be loving life, so you know and obviously just to have a bit of crack and get to know each other. And but and saying that like the virtual residential that was put on was amazing. That was the highlight for me, um, just in terms of the you know um, obviously the you know. The different projects from and like from international, it was I I just got so much out of that and learned so much and got so many ideas you know creatively to take forward to look at maybe how you could bring some of that work across here. So yeah. while it was a challenge certainly online, but there was definitely um positive state as well. I mean, I did get to meet face to face a couple of weeks ago, so that was good. Aye, aye, that helped as well. Yeah. Um, so tell us. You might be expecting this question, but and you kind of touched on it there about the residential or the virtual residential that took place, but. For you, what was the biggest takeaway from from the program? Um, I, th- I think for me it was well. I think first start like the the networks and the connections that you made. I think you know, um, you know, like the, you know, I think that's always going to be. I think in community work, that's what community work's all about. Um, as I say, the, the virtual residential for me, you know, like all day that Saturday, you know, like different hearing about, you know, like for example, the homeless projects in Scotland and some of the, the, the projects in Palestine and Jerusalem. And obviously, hearing for those people were coming from, especially women and what they're up against and, and those, in those countries, you know, and it kind of for me really gave me a different outlook because we think we're hard done by here. Mm-hmm. You know, when we just, you know, feel like God, you know, life's, life isn't good or whatever. But when you look at what our you know, females, women especially, and, and other countries up against, you have to consider yourself to be lucky and then to appreciate things a wee bit more. 
Um, and then for me, then I suppose like I've taken a lot of, you know, like for example, like all the guest speakers and, and sort of tried to, you know, tech, tech, pull out the useful parts and use them as suppose going forward in the work that I do. Um, you know, like they always talk about the whole theory to practice, you know, so what I've been able to do is, is pull out a lot of, you know, useful information and I'm now using it within my own business. So it's been really beneficial. Good stuff. You sound like you enjoyed it. Would you recommend it to anybody? Oh, definitely would. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a program that, you know, if you're, it doesn't matter where you, you know, you know, your, your, your journey in terms of community work, whether you're just starting out. Um, I mean, I think we had somebody at 16 in our group, you know, you know, maybe they, you know, when you're, you're possibly maybe at the stage where you're sort of winding things down or doing a wee bit of volunteering or whatever, it's, um, it's a great experience. Um, I would really encourage, um, anybody out there who has a passion and interest for community work and also just to be you know a leader and they, they want to make a difference in their own community um do really um think about applying and and they give uh your fiona a shout it's it's definitely worthwhile and you will meet some amazing people on it brilliant thank you kathy that's thanks. good stuff so thanks to you kathy thanks to michael to Emma uh, and to Janice, all for joining us for a conversation today. It was really informative. There's a lot more detail on the future leaders issue of Fingerpost at fingerpost.ie. Uh, the program that has been delivered, the Future Leaders Program was funded this year through the Department for Foreign Affairs, through, through the Reconciliation Fund and the Northern <clears throat> Ireland Office. And the Fingerpost Project is funded through the Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland. Uh, all of we're eternally grateful as always for all the funding that we receive so that's it um the next issue that we release for or the next finger post issue that's going to be released is looking at community relations and rights so keep an eye out for that and we'll talk to you again soon 